The Dr. Taz Show. The podcast, Dr. Taz. Superwoman Wellness. Here's Dr. Taz. Welcome back to Superwoman Wellness. On every episode of this show, we will uncover the secrets to being superpowered and being the superwoman you are meant to be. Joining me today is Dr. Tal Ben-Shahar. Dr. Ben-Shahar is an author and lecturer. He has taught two of the largest classes in Harvard University's history, positive psychology and the psychology of leadership. For the last 15 years, he has taught leadership, happiness, and mindfulness to audiences around the world. He's the co-founder of the Happiness Studies Academy and the author of six books, including the international bestsellers, Happier and Being Happy, which have been translated into more than 25 languages. Welcome to the show, Dr. Ben Chahar. Thank you, Dr. Taz. Great to be here. Oh, we're excited to be here. And I think this is so opportune. I was just reading this morning, you know, I usually spend my mornings trying to get inspiration from different places. And I think I was reading Daniel Laporte's book about happiness and feelings and the importance of sort of marrying that to your goals and your aspirations. So we are thrilled to be here and just be in my personal quest. I'm always trying to be a happier person, a better leader, trying to spread that so that my messages can resonate and they're not sort of blocked wherever they go. So we're thrilled to have you here. What even got you into the world and into the field of spreading happiness? Well, actually, what what got me into the field of happiness is my own unhappiness. Mm -hmm. I was uh, an undergraduate at Harvard studying computer science, and I found myself in my second year doing well academically, doing well in sports. I played uh, squash, doing quite well socially, and yet being very unhappy. And it didn't make sense to me because everything that I'd learned until then was that you know if you if you make it if you become successful um, that's how you become happier and uh, I was doing relatively well and yet being very unhappy and I remember one very cold Boston morning going to my academic advisor and telling her that I'm switching majors and she said what to and I said well I'm leaving computer science and moving over to philosophy and psychology and she said why and I said because I have two questions first question why aren't I happy second question how can I become happier? And that was um, 25 years ago, and I've been on, on that path. Uh, and as I became happier, I wanted to share what I'd learned with others, and that's when I started to teach. That is so important and so profound. And it's exactly, this is just so funny because this is exactly what I was reading this morning, that so many of us set goals, set aspirations. We we desire things that have been put into our heads, maybe by our families or by our communities. We're very achievement oriented, but at the end of the day, none of it makes us feel very good. So what was that shift for you? How did that journey shift for you and, and where have you landed? And then we definitely want to pick your brain on the tools that it's going to take to help us all try to to get in touch with that yes so you know where where that took me was uh, along the path of uh, you know reading a lot about uh, about happiness and I was I was mostly attracted to to research because um, I was uh, a scientist I started off as a scientist Um, I was skeptical and I wanted techniques and tools that actually work that make a difference um, so what I did, and this is also what I do in my class, you know, I only teach uh, evidence-based techniques. Um, I then try them on myself to make sure they work, and only after they pass these two tests, one science and B, they, they have to work for me, and then I share them with others. That's amazing. So what worked on you? Uh, what worked to kind of shift your mindset, and how did that influence your life and change your path? 
so so actually, I think that probably the first thing that I learned, which was um, which was a game changer uh, in my life, was that I first need to let in unhappiness before I can experience happiness. You know, so ma- so many of us have a misunderstanding of uh, of happiness as being uh, eternal bliss. Uh, a happy life is a life devoid of painful emotions, um, and especially today in the in the era of social media, when we see our our friends or uh, or perfect strangers leading mm-hmm. perfect lives, except for us, and we think there is something wrong with us. And the problem when we do that is that we undermine our own happiness. So the first step is really understanding that any life, uh, perhaps except for uh, for the life of the psychopath, but any uh, normal life is is full of uh, unhappy experiences and 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 pain and disappointment and sadness and and anger and and anxiety and when we accept that painful emotions are a part of our life paradoxically uh, they're less li- uh, less likely to to persist and less likely to grow um, so the first step is allowing in unhappiness accepting it as part of uh, of life giving ourselves what I've come to call the permission to be human. Wow. And that's powerful in itself because I think so many of us as leaders or as parents, you know, are always trying to protect everyone around us from unhappiness where that may not be our calling or our purpose, right? It's more, you know, to allow people to process those feelings. So if the first piece is to allow an unhappiness, what would you say would be steps two and steps three for anyone out there who's listening and is is maybe just not feeling joy or feeling happiness is very confused as to why they may be in that position. So the number one predictor of happiness, and this is, uh, I'll just mention one, one research that yeah. was done at, at Harvard. So for 75 years, um, a number of researchers followed Harvard graduates as well as members from the community for 75 years. They collected literally millions of data points. And what they found summarizing all this research was that the best predictor of both happiness as well as health, uh, so both psychological well-being as well as physical well-being, the best predictor, relationships. Now, interestingly, it didn't matter what Mm. kind of relationships, meaning it could be friendships, it could be uh, someone really emphasizing a romantic relationship in their lives or focusing on, on professional uh, relationships uh, or family relationships, it didn't matter, but the people who were happiest and healthiest um, prioritized relationships. They invested in relationships. Now, this this was important, um, you know, 75 years ago. It's uh, even more important today. And the reason is because today, many people substitute uh, social media, online relationships for real relationships. Right. And they're right. paying a very high price for it very high price for it. So we need real face-to-face interactions. Okay. Well, we've got to, we have got to let that soak in for anybody out there listening today, any of you, I think this is so important because many of us, I've got to put myself, maybe even my husband in that category. And I know so many of you as patients, but many of you are like me, very achievement driven, very goal driven. And we actually do the opposite, right? We sacrifice relationships because we're out of time, we're out of energy, we're out of steam. And when people often turn to me, 
and ask me maybe why I'm happy. Well, you're right. You know, Tal, you're right. It's, it's my relationships, right? It's my relationship with my husband that keeps me sustained, my relationship with my children, the sense of community and family, and of course, the relationships with my patients. So if it's relationships, it seems almost like we've got it all wrong because many of us are wired to sacrifice relationships in pursuit of something else. How do we undo that? How do we change that mentality? And what are some things you've seen really work as people try to to renegotiate and reestablish that human connection with each other, whether it's in a marriage or in a company or even in um, a social setting. Yeah. So, you know, one of the things, uh, let's start first thing in the morning. Let's start at the beginning. What do most people do when they open their eyes? The first thing that they do is not, uh, you know, gaze into their uh, partner's eyes or, uh, or, or look at their children. The first thing that they do is turn to their smartphone. Mm. So, the first thing we need to do is keep that smartphone away from us. Why yes. tempt ourselves? You know, it's just like, you know, um, a person who's uh, um, an alcoholic will not put um, a whiskey bottle next to them when they wake up. They will keep it away from them. In the right. same way, most people are literally, not metaphorically, literally addicted to, to technology. So keep it away. When coming uh, home, have have a rule for you know kids and adults to put the phone away. You know we mm-hmm. have no phone zones in our house. We have times when uh, there's no technology uh, used in our house, and when we spend time together. Um, so this, or when you go out, whether it's with a partner or or friends, you know, make right. a point of putting those uh, uh, detra- distractors away. Um, in addition, create not just negative rituals, meaning keep the phone away, but also positive rituals. Uh, you know, my wife and I have, for example, a, a weekly date when mm-hmm. we on a particular day go out and you know, leave the kids uh, at home. Now, many of our friends tell us a ritualized date, you know, that's so unromantic, bring in the spontaneity. And our right. answer to that, we bring in spontaneity with Three children, both of us working full time. <laughs> I love it. You know, yes. Not once a week, but once a year, maybe. <laughs> right, right. That's, um, yeah. that's so, so, so true. So create positive rituals. You know, they're also very interesting. There's a very interesting um, uh, study on uh, introducing change and, and, and spice into the relationship. So um, when couples were asked to put time aside and go out on a, on a regular date, they became happier. When they were asked to put time aside and to try new things out during that day, they became even happier. So experiment, go to a different restaurant, meet different people, uh, try new things, whether it's uh, in, um, in, in, in bed or in, in theater. Um, these are important. So variety is, is important for uh, long-lasting romance. So technology seems to be today's kind of albatross, so to speak, of getting in the way of our happiness because it's interfering with our relationships. You know, these are great little pearls of wisdom. And for everybody out there, I know you're guilty because I am too. We've got to put those phones away and engage with people in a much more meaningful way. Quite honestly, I found this in the work environment. Can we apply these same principles to our companies and to our businesses as well, where I have noticed more and more that it is the power of relationship that really drives business more so than it is any benchmark or any sort of, uh, you know, defined pristine product or seamless flow. It really is relationship. Would you, would you agree that that is 
also linked to business success or the success of a company, just as it's linked to the success of a marriage or a family or social relationships? Yeah, absolutely. So uh, Jim Collins, in his uh, wonderful book, um, Good to Great, talks about the importance of the who over the what, where he Mm -hmm. says that who you have on your bus is much more important than than the what, the idea or or the vision or the strategy. So first get the the people right. And what that means is the people who can work together, who enjoy working together, who complement each other. Who, uh, who appreciate one another. So these elements are, are critical in, in the workplace. And again, especially in the modern workplace, because in the past, you know, people were used um, you know, to move uh, gadgets around. Today, we need the whole person. We, we don't just need their physical, physical. ability. And when you right. need the whole person, uh, an important aspect of the person, uh, an aspect that helps the person flourish is the community. That is so so true. It's no these are no longer physical jobs. These are mental and emotional jobs. And even for me as a leader of my team, you know, you'll find me choosing from my heart more than my brain. And here's a simple reason why. It's simply because I know that people who are passionate about the work we're doing, who feel comfortable around me and resonate with me and the rest of the team members, although they may lack certain skills, will ultimately be far more successful than anyone who comes in with a nice slick resume. So I've definitely seen this apply to to our company as well. You know, so much great wisdom already in in just a short amount of time. Just to recap for everybody out there listening, you know, again, remembering to let in unhappiness. There's no guarantee that you're going to live a happy life necessarily. And sometimes you don't appreciate happiness until you let the unhappiness in. Understanding that, you know, how you feel is sometimes more important than what you're trying to achieve. And that journey is very important. And that relationship in studies, as Tal has shown us, is the number one predictor of happiness. So look at the quality of your relationships and let's all, you guys who are following me on social media have seen me rant about technology recently. So let's all try to continue to work together to not let technology get in the way of our happiness and our relationships. Talk to us about authenticity, Tal. What what is it what does it mean? I feel like that word first of all gets played around and it's another one of those intangible words that that sometimes people have trouble grasping. Why what is authenticity? What is being authentic and how does that play into happiness and how can we make this very sort of amorphous intangible word become more realistic and practical for all of us out there? Yeah, so you know, authenticity um is about about being ourselves, but what what, what does this actually mean? And let, let me apply this uh, specifically to uh, to the workplace, uh, as well as to education. So one of the areas that I've been working in a lot is the strength-based approach. Uh, strength-based approach is about um, identifying two things. First of all, what are your strengths? In other words, what are you good at? Uh, is it strategic thinking? Is it, um, is it listening? Uh, are you good at uh, crunching numbers? What are you good at? What are your strengths? That's question number one. Question number two is what gives you strength? In other words, what energizes you? What, 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 what makes you come alive? And when you answer these two questions and you spend time thinking about these two questions, what are your strengths and what gives you strength? And you find the overlap. It's at the overlap where you're authentic, where you're real. And interestingly, and we have a lot of research on this, this is where 
you are happiest as well as perform at your best. So ideally, what you want is a workplace, uh, a home, a school uh, of people who are thriving and flourishing because they're in this zone where they're doing what they do best and they're energized. And how do you find those strengths? Is there any tool that you recommend for helping someone, you know, really dive into their strengths and pull them out? Absolutely, yeah. So so there are quite a few tools out there. Um, First of all, the the best tool is self-reflection. So when we, for example, took uh, um, university students, 10-year-old students, as well as professional adults, when we um, took them and we simply asked them to reflect on these two questions, just by reflecting on these questions, what are your strengths, what gives you strength, they were able to attain higher levels of self-awareness and it improved performance in school and at work. So that's one. However, there are also great questionnaires out there. For example, um, the VIA Character Strengths is, uh, is, is a wonderful tool. Mm-hmm. It's online. The Gallup organization has fantastic tools for identifying strengths. And finally, Realize 2, the number 2, and Realize written as in England with an S. Realize okay. these are all great tools for raising levels of awareness. Very good. I hope you guys all caught that. So via character, the Gallup organization and realize with an S two are all tools you can use to help you identify your strengths, which then you want to play out in the different arenas of your life. Talk to us about generosity. What's the tie between curiosity and generosity and happiness? Yeah. So let me begin with generosity. There is a Again, we don't need research for it, but there is a lot of research on it showing that when we're generous, uh, when we help others, we become happier. So, for example, uh, people who are given a nice sum of money and are divided then randomly into two groups. One group are told, go spend it on yourself. Go have, go, go buy yourself something. Um, they come back to the lab and their levels of happiness has gone, have gone up, uh, but only for a day. Whereas if you give people the same amount of money and ask them to go spend that money on someone else, whether a charity or buying someone a gift, um, they also increase their level of happiness, just like those who bought something for themselves, only their happiness lasts for over a week. In other Mm. words, giving uh, others is also about giving ourselves. Uh, You know, my, my, um, um, my mother tongue is not, is not English. My mother tongue is Hebrew. Okay. The, the language of the Bible and the, my favorite word in Hebrew, in fact, my favorite word in, in the Bible is the word to give. The word to give in Hebrew is natan, which is spelled natan. N-A-T-A-N. Okay. The interesting thing about that word is that it's a palindrome, meaning it's symmetrical. You read it yep. right to left or left to right. This is no coincidence. When we what give, is it backwards? We re- when we give, we receive. And again, this is ancient wisdom. Today, we have scientific um, research showing just how true that is. Wow. So, so, so when so you this take is the, ben- the, ben- the, the benefits of giving. Which is amazing. So when you take that Hebrew word and, and, and as a palindrome and you read it backward, what is it? I'm just curious. Natan. 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 Ah, the, the same. same ah, okay. Gotcha. Fascinating. And then you, you, you asked about curiosity. And um, the interesting thing is that today we know that curiosity actually can add years to our life. 
Uh, in other words, people who are lifelong learners are not just more successful at work, uh, in school. Um, they actually also live longer. They're healthier. It strengthens our immune system. Uh, so we, I wanted to talk about curiosity and where does that play into this concept of happiness? I may have lost you there for a Great. second. That's okay, though. So curiosity contributes not just to happiness. It also contributes to physical health. People who are lifelong learners, who, are, who, who watch lectures, who read books, who ask questions, um, don't just uh, enjoy life more. They also live longer. Wow. So much great information here. Now, one thing I found so interesting as I was reading about you, your newest book is The Shortcuts to Happiness, Life-Changing Lessons from My Barber. And this comes from conversations with your longtime barber. So how did that relationship evolve and what role did your barber play in, in sort of your lectures and your career and trying to understand happiness? I'm, I'm very curious about that because you've already given us so much great information about, you know, some of the things we need to be thinking of. And, you know, for anybody out there who's struggling, you know, you're just, you know, I meet people every day who've been through something horrific or you're just having a really tough time pulling yourself out of it. These are some really great tools and pearls to take from, from this particular episode and from Tal and really make them actionable in your life, understanding the role of relationship and trying to build them, understanding and finding your strengths, you know, really being generous, being curious to build your own maybe personal prescription for happiness. But it sounds like your barber had something to do with this too. And I didn't want to leave you without you telling us that story. Sure. So um, this was uh, a few years ago when I was uh, just after a flight and just before a flight. I was exhausted. I was not in a great mood, um, but I needed a haircut. So I went to my, my barber, had the haircut, came out 20 minutes later feeling great. And I thought to myself that, you know, this happens often when I, when I go to him. Why don't I write a book about him? Because he, uh, he doesn't just help me feel better. He helps most of his uh, clients. Um, feel better. So I started writing a book and for two years, basically, I went uh, each time I had my haircut or, or my kids had their haircut there as well. And um, I would write down pearls of wisdom without him knowing that I'm huh. writing them down. I would write down his pearls of wisdom. And, and then I went home and reflected on them and wrote about them and, and connected them to, to research. And um, after two years, I told him about it and asked him for his permission because this was a co-authored book with all the implications thereof. And um, he he agreed. He was he was stunned, but he agreed. And um, and and I, and I think the most important lesson that I learned from this experience is that wisdom exists all around us. Um, yes, of course, there is research, and that has been my focus for the last uh, twenty-five years. Uh, however, there is also me-search, which is about self-reflection, looking within. And there is also wisdom out there in just about everyone whom we meet, whether it's our barber or the person behind the counter or the taxi driver or um, our childhood friend. I love it. What were some of the things he would say to you? <laughs> I'm curious. Well, so, he would, so he would say, for example... Um, He's a great barber, and he's often been asked to expand his business, to open other salons, and he's always refused. And I asked him why, and he said, because I have everything that I want and need right here. And I said, what is it? And he said, most of all, I have um, friendships with my clients, and I'm always learning. 
Wow. Um, and, and I thought uh, about these two things. And interestingly, Aristotle, considered the father of Western philosophy, said mm-hmm. the two paths to happiness are friends and contemplation. In other words, exactly what he said, relationships and learning. Wow. Spread that message everywhere, guys, to your children, to your communities, to your families, relationships and learning. These are the foundations of happiness. And you brought up something earlier that I want to make sure I don't lose. You talked about people who are happy in their relationships in particular are the healthiest people. What does the data say about their health? How does that impact their health? Yes. So our immune system is, uh, is, is, is a lot stronger when we're in, uh, in relationships. And as I said, the, the kind of relationships, yeah, it can be a romantic relationship. It doesn't have to be. Uh, if we have close friends whom we can talk to, um, if we have uh, colleagues whom we feel comfortable around, th- th- these all provide us with um, a very strong foundation, a foundation that doesn't just affect our psychological health. Because mind and body are connected, it also affects our physical health. I could not agree more. And you actually have a course and a program to help people navigate this because I'm, you know, I want to do it. I want to, as much as I know, and as much as I speak all the time about creating power through health, understanding the different facets of your health and how they all come together, mind, body, and spirit to really help you be powerful. The more tools I can provide to anybody out there who is struggling to write this equation for themselves. You have a, you have a course, I believe, or a certificate program. Tell us about that. Yeah, so I have a, I've created a, co-created a certificate program in happiness studies that looks at uh, the field of happiness studies from the perspective, of course, of psychology as well as philosophy and literature and neuroscience. And uh, we, we put together a, a coherent uh, field of inquiry in happiness studies that can help individuals become happier as well as help them help others whether it's their families, whether it's their colleagues at work, whether it's their community, increase levels of well-being. Well, that's amazing. And what's involved in that? And how can the audience find or get access to that? Well, um, all of it is on my website, which is uh, talbenshahar, one word, dot com. Um, And there is access to the uh, online certificate programs as well as my, uh, my books and other work. Fantastic. So I hope you all have learned a little bit about happiness today from Tal, from Dr. Ben Shahar. And I encourage you guys to really dive into this pursuit of happiness, trying to understand really what is making you authentic, what is your strengths, where are your relationships. And again, so many people chase the right diet, the right supplements, all this other stuff, but the root of our health may be rooted in relationship and community. And I'm not surprised by that. Eastern wisdom has taught us that for so long. Dr. Ben Shahar, any other sort of parting wisdom? I feel like we could tap your brain for so much, but any other parting wisdom, things you'd really want the audience to know before we leave you today? Um, Sure. There is one very important element, especially in today's world, and that is the element of recovery. You know, we're, we're so busy. We experience so much stress. Um, the problem, however, when we look into the stress is not the stress itself. The problem is that we don't have enough recovery in our life. If you think about going to the gym and lifting weights, what you're doing when you lift weights, you're stressing them. 
not a bad thing. You actually get stronger as a result, but you only get stronger if you have periods of recovery. Without recovery, you get injured, whether it's in the gym or in life. So take time to recover, whether it's to listen to a, a podcast, whether it's to go to the gym, uh, whether it's to have a meal with uh, family and friends while the phone is off so that it's real recovery. I love it. We are speaking the same language. I hope you guys all spread this message everywhere you go. Have really used some of these tips to influence your relationships, your families, your communities, your companies. And I think the world will be a happier place. Thank you so much, Tal. I appreciate it. For those of you listening today, thank you for listening to this episode of Superwoman Wellness, which is now on Spotify as well. And if you have questions about today's show, connect with me on Instagram or Facebook. It's at Dr. Taz MD. And if you enjoyed the show, please rate and review and share it with your friends. See you next time.